Welcome to the Carveline Tech Service Podcast, the go-to industrial coatings podcast. Here are your hosts, Jack Walker and Paula Jamis. All right. Hey, here we go. We're doing the Carveline Tech Service Podcast yet again. It's Jack Walker, the one, the only, Paula Jamis. Boy, that was a transition. Yeah, I kind of threw a curveball. Yeah, you did. And hey, he didn't introduce me, but I did. I said the one, the only Paula Jamis. No, I thought you said the one, the only Jack Walker. No, I would never do that. I'm not that cocky. Oh, I'm not the one and only though either. I am a junior. You are a junior. Yeah. I'm the third, so it wouldn't be me. Yeah. So should we be tattooed on my back just in case I ever forget? Should we be junior and Trey? Junior and Trey. Trey and junior. All right. Welcome to the Carveline Tech Service Podcast. I'm Trey. Over here, we got Junior. Hey, Junior, how's it going? <laughs> I think we're, I think we're coming close to the, to the final straw. We're finally getting a little clean. We survived the the Godfather. Yes, we did. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And uh, we'd like to talk about some parts of the plant that are crucial to the operation of the plant, but they aren't necessarily in the forefront of your mind when you think about. Uh, when you're just talking about wastewater, because these are the areas that aren't necessarily the wastewater themselves within the wastewater treatment plant. So the chemicals they use, you know, we talked last week about chlorine uh, being an issue and and things like that. Well, they store these chemicals on site. They sure do, Jack. And one of the things that they have to do is the the tanks themselves have to maintain the purity of the chemicals that they're using to purify the water that's now coming. We're talking about secondary and tertiary treatment locations here now where all of the solids have been removed. All of the sludge has settled out and now they're pumping what really now it looks like water. Mm -hmm. And at this point of the, of the process is to make it something that's healthy and it's almost ready to drink. But we're starting to get moved towards that process. Yep. So they've got to use some pretty strong chemicals in these types of areas. And de- really it depends on what part of the country you're in, what municipality you're in, what part of the world you're in, what chemicals that you actually use. And, you know, in the United States, we see a lot of, you know, so we'll see sodium hydroxide or, or caustic. We see sulfuric acid a lot. And both of those are frequently used as pH adjusters. Sodium bisulfite is used as a purifier. Ferric chloride is used a lot. But probably the biggest one that most places use for the actual final purification is sodium hypochlorite. Which is aggressive towards coatings. It really is. So sodium hypochlorite, more commonly known as bleach. Yep. And the stuff that you get at your house, you're normally going to see that. That's like 3%. I think it's like 3.4%, actually. And you even dilute the stuff that you use at your house. Yep. So think about how much your nose hairs burn just the stuff that you use at your house. Right. And what they get at a water purification facility, they're, it's usually 125 to 15% when it comes in there. I usually like to oversimplify you? The, the bleach immersion. Yes, I do overly <laughs> simplify everything. But that's because I feel like there are people who are in this industry who aren't chemist jerks like the rest of you guys. <laughs> And I like to drive you guys crazy by picking something that is very, very right, but But also very wrong. wrong. Drives you guys nuts. So the thing that I tell people about bleach is remember why you use bleach. 
what do you use bleach for? Usually to disinfect, right? So what are you, what are you actually doing when you disinfect? You're removing the germs and bacteria from whatever it is. And what are germs? Living organisms. And we are killing them, right? Yes, we are. All right. So hold on to that thought. Paint. Organic paint. Where does it come from? Resins, but it isn't living. Yeah, but same, same, you know, yeah. same kind of concept, right? Oh, yeah. Those resins came from organic what, materials. Organic yep. materials, like living things. And what does bleach do to organic materials? Oh yeah, it kills them. Yeah. So that's why people are always surprised when they hear that bleach or sodium hypochlorite is a hard chemical containment. But when you go that route, and you and your chemist brain, oh yeah. I had to tell me how very wrong I was there yeah. because it's it's not living, which is true, right. right? But it's organic in matter and the germs and everything else are organic. Right. And bleach kills living things. Yeah. Organic things. Living things is a bad analogy. Organic, organic things. things. And, and I guess even maybe a, a more straightforward way, sodium hypochlorite breaks down organic material. Yes. And that's that's our Cody. Yeah. And so we have to be very careful when we give you um, a recommendation. The other thing that's crazy about bleach, and I'm not even going to try and um, explain this one. I'm going to let you explain this one. Uh Uh-oh. And you get like a minute because we're limited. Explain to them about the stability of the concentration of sodium hypochlorite. Okay. So... Really what we're looking at is when they make sodium hypochlorite at a manufacturing facility, it's created at around 18% is the maximum concentration. By the time they get it from the reaction vessel where they make it to the storage vessel where they store it at the manufacturing site, it's around 15%. By the time they get it from there to the truck or to the bottling line or the container that they're going to ship it in, it's about 12.5%. That's the stable value. 12.5% is the normal, stable, maximum value. And if you look at an SDS for reagent-grade sodium hypochlorite, it's going to tell you 12 to 15%. Mm-hmm. Because they probably put it in a truck at around 15, and by the time it hits the site, it's probably around 12.5. Mm-hmm. Is that less than a minute? I think so. And so that's why it could be tricky to come up with a lining for sodium hypochlorite. Especially when somebody tells you, we have a tank that holds 100% sodium hypochlorite. Because one... It doesn't exist. Ever. Ever. And that's a a whole other topic for a whole other day. That's like a major can of worms that I just dropped. Oh, yeah. And any chemist out there is losing their mind right now. (laughs) No, no, no. They're agreeing with me. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, The painters are still with me. I still got that. Yeah, but but they're the ones losing their mind saying it's 100%. Well, it's true. My guys are saying, yeah, no, it's never 100%. It's true. So my guys <laughs> got to call one of your guys. Yeah. Get it figured out. Right. So back to what we're really talking about with this. It was a sidebar, but it was an important it sidebar. It was an important sidebar because we do have lining systems for sodium hypochlorite. We do. We usually go with the polyurethane. Yep. The- or a vinyl ester. Yep. Reactamine 760 is our normal one that we go with on this one. This type of hybrid technology usually stands up pretty well to sodium hypochlorite and extreme oxidizers because the other thing that a lot of areas use 
Canada uses it a lot and Europe uses it a lot where they use ozone for their purification process. Which is uh It's another oxidizer. Yeah. And it's yeah. another highly aggressive chemical. Yep. So both of these, you need to make sure that you talk with your coating supplier of what the process is that they're going through to make sure that you get the right option. Because there are options. We just need to know what they are. Mm-hmm. And we have our tank lining series. It's early on in the like 11, 12, 13, uh, something like that. And we cover why it's so important to get the right commodity, right percentage, right temperature and all that for chemical storage. Absolutely. And, and those rules stay the same for water treatment. So we're not going to go too crazy in there. Just know that there's a ton of chemicals being stored at these facilities because a lot of the times if the water is neutral, they're great. Or they're, but really what they're doing is trying to get that water to a neutral pH. If they're purifying their water and it comes in a little bit on the caustic side, they're going to add acid to it to get it closer to the neutral. If it comes in on the acid side, they're going to add caustic to it to try and get it back to neutral. So, you know, the sodium hypochlorite forms kind of two functions there in that it could help them definitely going to drive the solution, you know, the water basic, Mm -hmm. you know, caustic. And, um, but really it's, it's there to, to cleanse and and, and kill organic things, but it will have effect on that pH, but that's why they store sodium hypochlorite, sulfuric acid. Those are used to readjust the pH of the water. And keep in mind, I know we, we're going to sound like we're harping on sodium hypochlorite, but realize too, when they're putting it into these wastewater treatment facilities, They're typically measuring it in parts per million. Yeah. It's not a lot of sodium hypo that's needed to purify water. And it's very similar. Any of you who have chlorine pools, you know, you're using a similar thing. Sure. You're using chlorine. Same as sodium hypochlorite. The main thing that does is it delivers chlorine to this water system. And when you do your pools, you're looking at what? Three, five, seven parts per million. So when we talk about a wastewater treatment facility, they may be using 100 200 parts per million. So it's a lot more than you would use in your pool. But think about what happens when you when you spike your pool and you're trying or when you shock your pool and you may get it up to 10 parts per million. And think about what that's like on your eyes. And or if you go too far and you have a plastic liner in your pool, the yeah. vinyl liner, how you can bleach out the liner because of having too much chlorine in there. You know, I, I hadn't intended on going here today, but I, I do think that this is a good time to talk about this because it is a frequently asked question when it comes to these vessels where they are trying to bring the water back to neutral is somebody will call in and say, I have 98% sulfuric. Mm -hmm. What you would use for 98% sulfuric acid isn't necessarily the same lining that you would use if you were taking a uh, quart of sulfuric acid and added it to a big, huge tank of water. Right. Because now you take that 98% and it shoots down to the parts per million category. Which honestly, with sulfuric acid, Mr. Chemist, that's a whole different can of worms, isn't it? Absolutely it is. Oh, you're not even going to go into it, huh? No. But, yes, so the different concentrations are so drastically different that it requires different lining solutions. So, it's important to keep in mind that the size of the water tank that this highly concentrated sulfuric acid or sodium hypochlorite or sodium hydroxide will be entering because you don't necessarily need the lining that is good for those concentrated forms of those chemicals. And it might actually be the wrong 
lining. Right. And the other thing which we probably could do a whole other podcast on is what is pH? Yeah. I mean, we have been talking about what we're doing to adjust the pH, but sure. that's, a, that's a really deep conversation, which is also why... You'll probably have to find some chemists. Yeah. Yeah. I can find one. I just know it's a little P, P and a big H. Yeah. The reason for this is mainly because there are so many effects that go into how a chemical affects the pH, which it's its own science in and all of itself, which is why we don't make a chemical tank lining recommendation based on pH alone. And I know that for the last you know, 13 minutes or so, we've been talking about how this relates directly to the chemical storage tanks, but everything that we just said can be applied to secondary containment. You know, we call the storage tanks primary containment. So secondary containment is just the oopsie-doo uh, You're part like the of the- master of the transition there, aren't you? Dude, I am a Segway pro here. Yeah. When you go with the, the uh, secondary containment, now what we have is a usually a concrete area that has walls that is big enough to hold the the contents of the tanks that are within the area should a spill occur. So now the linings have to have chemical resistance to the chemicals that are in the tanks. That's right. And some sometimes we're not even necessarily looking at just to make sure, oh, what if it spills? Because honestly, if the whole tank ruptures and spills, everybody is ready for there to be repairs and you yeah. just have to have a lining that's resistant enough to hold it until that chemical can be neutralized and cleaned up. But the real areas where you see damage on secondary containment is in the areas where you have leaks or where you have valves or you make attachments, you know, where you attach that hose to fill or unload a chemical tank. And then some drips out on the ground right there underneath. Yep. It. And those are the areas where you really need the resistance and also in trenches. Like where you might have a sump or a trench yep. that's going to hold it. So you get a little bit of rain. It runs it down into a trench. Now that trench has to be resistant to several different concentration levels of that chemical or a mixture of them. Because here's the thing that everybody needs to keep in mind when it comes to any secondary containment recommendation is by the letter of the law, those containment are only designed for short-term storage. They are 72 hours. That's right. So we always hope that you go with Carboline, but no matter who you choose as your paint manufacturer, it is always important to note the rating that they are giving you for your secondary containment. Because some chemicals are so aggressive that we will write you a, you can use this for secondary containment, but you got an hour. Right. Kind of. Yeah. No. Most of the time, know that it's good for 72 hours. Right. And expect and hope and ask for your supplier to tell you when it's different. And I believe that the 72 hours comes from if something happened over the weekend and you came yep. back in, you would find the spill. Yep. You need to be able to span from a Friday shift to a Monday shift. It is still assumed that once the spill is discovered, it is going to be handled. And that is a big assumption. But, and the reason I say this is most chemicals... With most secondary containment products, you're fine much longer. Right. However, this is when, even with fairly benign chemicals, your ancillary treatments, your expansion joints, your right. your your different your pipe penetrations, that's where those are gonna start to become a concern. Because you're literally trying to hold everything in. 
And 72 hours is a long time. If you remember back to our first episode in this uh, wastewater treatment, you yep. talked about the sewer guy in New Orleans trying to figure out how, how much pressure. Right. Was on the roads. Well, on the sewer pipes. Same thing happens to a secondary containment system. Yep. You know, now you, you have all these, if, if a tank leaks and you, you have a full secondary containment pit, you have pressures on every weak point, And those weak points are going to be all the expansion joints. Yeah. I mean, honestly, we may be looking at a joint that's got backer rod and caulking. And, and, right. now, and now you just filled it with sodium hypochlorite and you want to make sure that it's holding it all in. It may not be very good when you're done. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and you wouldn't want to release chemicals in it. That's so right. I think that about does it for this week on the Carboline Tech Service podcast. I'm Jack Walker. I'm still here from now. Paula James. Oh no, we we have this already. Yeah. Our whole Bartles and James. Yeah. Peace. And so, for the Carboline Tech Service podcast, I'm Paul and I'm Jack, and we'd, we'd like, like to, to thank, thank you for, for your support. Who put the line in Carboline? Who put the line in Carboline? No matter where I go, they don't know what I mean. I say Carboline. Say carbon.